Well, good morning, everybody. Today we start a brand new series, and I want to back into this by asking a question this morning. For all of you gathered here with me in Northville and all of you in Farmington Hills, by a show of hands, how many of you have a problem? How many of you are sitting next to somebody with a problem? How many of you are sitting next to your problem? Yeah, today I want to talk to people who have a problem. And if you don't have a problem, our ushers have some extra ones, and they'll be distributing them after today's service. Uh, In many ways, you will be defined by the problem you choose to embrace. You can choose to embrace the problem of your own success and comfort and security, or you can embrace a nobler problem. You will be defined in many ways by the problem you choose to embrace. So what's your problem? Do you have a problem worthy of your energies, worthy of your life? How do you want this world to be different because you were in it? Followers of Jesus routinely ask God, God, what problem in this world that you love so much are you calling me to address? Followers of Jesus ask God to assign them a problem. And it's in identifying a problem that's often the beginning of God's call in someone's life. When someone sees a problem and it stirs something deep within them, that can be the beginning of God's unique call on that person's life. In this series, we're going to study the life of a man who did just that. His name is Nehemiah, and he's one of the great leaders of the Bible. And he challenged people to live for a problem greater than themselves. And he challenged people that together they could solve a near unsolvable problem, and they did. But more than that, he led the people through a process that included problem identification and confession of sin and commitment to live the Bible and celebration at the end of it all. They committed themselves to this process. And so um, I'm not asking you to merely show up on Sunday mornings and hear a sermon. I want you to be open to the idea that God might want to awaken something in you or awaken something in our church. Nehemiah led his people through a process that led to something like a great awakening. And it could happen once more. I'm asking you to surrender to this process that Nehemiah led his people through. That again will include problem identification, confession, commitment, prayer, celebration. Will you do it? Will you do it? Now, some of you have been a part of church life for decades, and you're wondering, is anything new for me to experience or learn? You've heard so many sermons, and about a part of so many Bible studies, your expectations are remarkably low. And I want to ask you to lay aside cynicism and be open to the idea that God might want to stir something new inside of you. Some of you are just starting in your life with God, and this is a great time to explore God's unique call on your life. I really believe if we all seek God's call, if we all confess our sins individually and corporately, if we labor in some kind of kingdom purpose, if we all make and keep commitments to live the Bible, if we all celebrate, at the end of these six weeks, you will be different, this church will be different, and the community around us will be different. You say, wow, you really have high expectations for what can be accomplished in six weeks. Yes, I do, and I'm asking you to be all in. It's not too late to pick up a copy of the study guide. They're available today at a kiosk in the Grand Mall for $5. You can find the same material in a free downloadable PDF. And all the videos that accompany each of the six uh, small group lessons are all there on the website for you. I encourage you to work through the curriculum. 
uh, with your small group or with your family or with a group of friends. And here's another simple request for our time together. Let's all read the book of Nehemiah together. It's only 13 chapters long, very doable over six weeks. Last week when you walked into the sanctuary, you were handed a bookmark that has the book of Nehemiah broken into 40 daily readings. And the same 40 daily readings with devotions can be found on the YouVersion Bible of the app. 500 million people have downloaded YouVersion to their phones or devices. It's a great way to have the Bible with you wherever you go. And there's a lot of devotional content. And if you search Nehemiah or you search, it's called Restart, and look for a 40-day devotion. You can get that right to your phone or tablet every day. 40-day readings and devotions through the book of Nehemiah. So let's begin, and I want to read today the entire first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. So this is going to give you a really good head start on your readings for the week ahead. And uh, we're going to read an entire, first, an entire chapter of the Bible. It's a little longer than usual, I want to warn you. A, an entire chapter of the Bible, but if you're able and willing, would you please stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word today? The Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Friends, this isn't just a history lesson. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So let's meet Nehemiah. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer to the king was something like being the king's personal bodyguard, or more likely it was being the head of security in the palace. That title cupbearer, as you may remember, comes from the original task, which was to drink the wine of the king and to eat the food of the king before the king drank the wine and ate the food to make sure it wasn't poisonous. Does that sound like a good job? 
You get to eat and drink, but you might die. It was a highly trusted, highly dangerous job. Nehemiah was an Israelite Jew, a slave, really. And the fact that this Persian king of power chose an Israelite Jew, an outsider, for this highly trusted task says a great deal about who Nehemiah must have been as a person. Which king are we talking about? This is King Artaxerxes. There were three kings by that name, Artaxerxes. Scholars think this was probably Artaxerxes I, which means that Nehemiah wrote this about 445 B.C., 445 years before Jesus Christ. He wrote it, he says, from the citadel of Susa, which was the winter palace for Persian kings. It is located in modern-day Iran, not far from the Iraq border, and we're going to see this location of the world has never really been a place of peace. One of Nehemiah's brothers came all the way from Jerusalem to Persia, and in the course of conversation, Nehemiah asks him how it's going back in Jerusalem, the capital city. Because many years prior, enemy forces had stormed Jerusalem, plundered it, and taken away a lot of the residents away to captivity to live as slaves in their own country. A few years after that, another conquering country conquered that country, and this new country had no use for the Israeli slaves and allowed a lot of them to return to Jerusalem to resettle there. The word Jerusalem uh, literally means city of peace, but over these many centuries, the city has known very little peace. So Nehemiah asks his brothers, how's it going back in Jerusalem with the people that are resettling there? And his brother says, not well, Nehemiah. It is not going well. This is what we heard read, the report from his brother. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah knows what this means. In that time and place, a city without walls was vulnerable. A city without walls was vulnerable physically to outside invading forces. It was vulnerable spiritually to outside influences. It was a city of shame and disgrace and dishonor. And Nehemiah is so broken about this, he weeps over it. He's overwhelmed by the bad news that he receives. Have you ever been overwhelmed by bad news? By medical reports? By news about a family member? by maybe something you saw on the news. Nehemiah's very first response, he weeps and mourns. This is what we heard read. Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned. You can tell a lot about somebody by what moves them to tears. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Nehemiah is moved to tears over the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem and the people who live there. Now, on the one hand, he personally has got a great life. He's a mover and shaker. He's a high-capacity guy. He's head of the secret service for the king of the largest nation in the world. And on the other hand, he's got this incredibly sensitive heart for other people. He feels badly for those whose tents and homes are being broken into every night. He feels broken over the fact that the God that he knows and worships is being mocked by neighboring nations. He just starts bawling, starts weeping, not because of his own life. His own life is doing pretty okay, but he's weeping for others. He has such sensitivity to those whose lives are vulnerable, and he has enormous sensitivity to the fact that the name of his God is being maligned. You can tell a lot about somebody by what moves them to tears. 
Bob Pierce was a business guy who started an organization called World Vision. And he would sometimes travel to faraway places, and he was so broken by seeing children die of preventable diseases, he would weep so uncontrollably his colleagues sometimes had to pull him away and get him back to a hotel where he could recuperate. And Bob Pierce wrote this near-famous prayer, May my heart break for the things that break the heart of God. And the broken heart of Bob Pierce, his tears led to an organization that today feeds millions of people globally. And on this very morning, 34 folks from our church are running the Detroit Marathon as part of Team World Vision. They're running to raise money and to raise awareness for the need for uh, clean drinking water in Africa. Their hearts have been broken by this particular cause, and right about now, their bodies are feeling broken for this particular cause. Now, I think it'd be helpful as we launch our study on Nehemiah for each of us to spend some time reflecting about what our own tears say about us. What brings you to tears? I saw this uh, 1,000 puzzle piece puzzle of a brick wall. Now, not everybody feels the same way about puzzles. Some of you are like me, and this looks like your worst nightmare. This would bring you to tears in itself. Anybody like me in that category, like a puzzle like this would be uh, terrible. Um, but some of you feel differently about puzzles. Some of you look at this and say, that would be an interesting challenge. That could be a stimulated evening. Any of the puzzle makers here? A few of you, and for those in the second group, there will be counselors available after the service uh, this morning for you. I bought this puzzle, even though I'm not a fan of puzzles, and I asked the ushers to hand to each of you on the way in this morning a piece of this puzzle. And if you have one, would you pull that out at this time? And if you didn't get one and would like one to participate, raise your hand, someone will get you one of these. Uh, I want you to use this as a prayer prompt this week. As you say, God, what part of the broken wall are you asking me to help you repair? Keep your hands up if you like a puzzle piece. On the surface, all brokenness looks identical, but each problem, each call, each person is unique. And here's the question I want you to reflect on this week. Ask yourself this question. What part of our broken world breaks your heart? Or in other words, what's your problem? What problem in our broken world is God assigning to you to do something about? What part of the broken world is God asking you to fix? Now, in some ways, our answers will be common. In some ways, we're all called to tackle some walls together, and we're all called to tackle some individual walls. It's unique to you. I've heard some authors call it a holy discontent. You all recognize this uh, character? He was very popular in my childhood. I asked my kids about to make sure they, they could get his name, and that was about it. Um, this guy's name is? Popeye. Popeye, Popeye the what? Popeye the sailor man. Popeye had a girlfriend whose name was Olive Oil, and when Popeye needed extra strength to get something done, he ate a bunch of spinach. Yeah, he was a weird guy. Now, uh, Popeye the sailor man, when he would be bullied or knocked around for a while, or someone he cared about was being bullied and knocked around, he would get to the place where he would say this line, that's all I can stands, I can stands it no more. Dubious grammar, but he was, after all, a sailor man. 
Nehemiah has this Popeye moment, this holy discontent, this piercing heartbreak in which he sees the city and he says the walls are broken down, invading enemies are attacking, the name of our God is being maligned, that's all I can stands, I can stands it no more. And Nehemiah knows that he has to personally do something about this. What's your holy discontent? What part of our broken world breaks your hearts? Is it injustice? Is it extreme poverty? Is it abused children? Is it homelessness? Is it seeing someone else you care about go down the cycle spiral of depression? I'd like you to pray this week that God breaks your heart. The boy David shows up one day and the Philistines and a giant named Goliath are mocking Israel and their God, and David says, that's all I can stands, I can stands it no more. The young woman Esther sees her people being threatened, and a juvenile king who does nothing about it, and she says, God, I believe you placed me in such a position for such a time as this. Martin Luther King Jr.'s heart was broken by the racial oppression they saw all around him in the 50s and 60s, the whites-only signs on the drinking fountains, the blacks always being pushed back to the back of the bus, to the back of educational opportunities, to the back of employment and housing opportunities. And one day he said, that's all I can stand. And he knew that his activism would likely cost him his life, but he couldn't not do something. Have you had a Popeye moment? What's your holy discontent? What is your problem? What part of our broken world breaks your heart? God may be directing you through your sadness. This could be the beginning of a call for you from God. A lot of people have wondered, why did Nehemiah react so profoundly to the news of the broken wall? Did he not know that it was broken? Babylon destroyed the walls in 587 B.C., 142 years before Nehemiah's brother gave him the news about the broken walls. Some people think maybe the walls have been restored and then destroyed again. I think Nehemiah heard old news that he heard before and that he knew, but for some reason, this time he was moved. This time God was calling him to action. This time God opened up his heart in a new way. I know many Christians who know all about the pain of the world and are kind of numb to it all, but then one day they kind of wake up to it. One day it bothers them in a way it had not bothered them previously. Old news pierces their hearts in a new way. So take that puzzle piece home with you and put it somewhere where you'll see it often. Put it it in your pocket. Every time you reach for your keys, it'll be a reminder to pray. Uh, Put it uh, on your mirror at home where you get ready in the morning. Put it on your refrigerator, someplace you go to frequently and often. And every time you see it, use it as a prayer prop to say, God, give to me a problem. Give to me a part of this broken world that you'd like me to fix. As your pastor, I'm going to be praying all week that God breaks your heart. It's important to note that prayer plays a big role in Nehemiah's discernment process. Notice what was read earlier from Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah says, for some days I mourned, yep, we got that, and fasted and prayed. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And in many ways, we'll see that that Nehemiah's, the whole book of Nehemiah is marked by his prayers. This guy prays a lot. And here's how you can pray like Nehemiah this week. First of all, in his model prayer, 
begin with an acknowledgement of God's nature. This is the way Nehemiah began his prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is a very good way to start a prayer. Not because you're buttering up God for a big ask that's coming later, but because you're reorienting yourself in the reality that we have a great and awesome God. Sometimes prayer can kind of just disintegrate into worrying aloud. It can be just worrying aloud until you remember that we are praying to a great and awesome God who can do something about it. You begin with that. Secondly, if you want to pray like Nehemiah, confess sins of self, family, religion, and nation. This is what Nehemiah prayed in his great prayer. He said, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you, God. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now this raises an interesting theological question. Can you confess the sins committed by somebody else? Can you confess the sins of your ancestors or of your nation or of your church or of your community? That's a fair debate we could have on another day. I just want you to notice that Nehemiah does it. He confesses not only his personal sins, but the sins of his family and the sins of his tribes, the organizations of which he is a part. And then lastly, if you want to pray like Nehemiah, request God's help and favor. This is the way Nehemiah closed that prayer. He said to God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. It is okay to ask God for success and favor. Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, give me favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? We're going to learn next week this man is the king. Nehemiah is going to approach the king for help. Now it's unclear whether Nehemiah had already formulated a plan and then he prayed or whether he prayed and then formulated a plan. I think it's more likely he planned and prayed simultaneously. Prayer is the place to process God's work in our hearts. It's where we discover and clarify God's work in our lives. It's in prayer. So again, Nehemiah has this pretty high-powered and cushy job, and he's going to risk it all next week. He's a great leader, and we're going to see that he is calculated and prayer-filled and strategic, but we're also going to see that he is not going to play it safe. He is not going to play it safe. His love for God is too great. His heart is too grieved. His call is too clear to play it safe. Erwin McManus wrote a book called Seizing Your Divine Moment. Isn't that a great title? Seizing Your Divine Moment. Nehemiah seizes his divine moment. Nehemiah was not called to play it safe, and neither are you or me. McManus tells this story in in this book. He says, one summer my son Aaron went to youth camp. He was just a little guy, and I was kind of glad because it was a church camp. I figured he wasn't going to hear all those ghost stories because ghosts can really cause a kid to have nightmares. But unfortunately, since it was a Christian camp and they didn't tell ghost stories because we don't believe in ghosts, they told demon and Satan stories instead. And so when Aaron got home, he was terrified. Dad, don't turn off the lights, he said before going to bed. No, Daddy, could you please stay here with me? Daddy, I'm afraid. They told all these stories about demons. And I wanted to say they're not real. He goes, Daddy, Daddy, would you please pray for me that I would be safe? And I could feel it. I could feel the warm blanket Christianity begin to wrap around him a life of safety, safety, safety. And I said, Aaron, I will not pray for you to be safe. 
I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that demons will flee you when you enter the room. And he said, all right, but pray that I'd be really dangerous, Daddy. And he says, if you come to the place in your own life where you stopped asking God to give you a safe life and begin asking God to make you a dangerous follower of Jesus Christ, will you pray with me? God of grace, our great and awesome God, keeper of the covenant, break our heart for the things that break the heart of Jesus. Just as you directed Nehemiah, direct each one of us. Give to us clarity about which aspect of our broken world you want us to fix. Speak to us. Break us. Shape us. Free us from the tendency to play it safe and make us dangerous followers of Jesus. This we pray in his name and for his sake. And all God's people said, amen. We'll pick it up right there next week.